This is the 2006 Palm Springs Bible School. Brother Anthony Whitehorn's topic is Be Transformed. His topic for the fifth class is the importance of fellowship and transformation. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> I'm going to miss that, you know. <laughs> Here we go, then. Um, be transformed. The importance of fellowship. Little, just a reminder what we've done. We've discovered what transformation is, uh, and it's that inward change. It's that fundamental change that we have to look at ourselves as we go through our lives and look back as to where we were in the land of Egypt and look forward to where we're going to be in the land of promise. We're now in the, in the wilderness. And are we changing? Are we fundamentally changing? Are we a different people? Are we undergoing that metamorpho? And why should we do it? Because we're full. We're full, aren't we? We're absolutely full of the natural man. And we, of course, need displacing by the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we should be doing in our wilderness journey. And how can we do that? Well, the good Lord helps us. But we have certain disciplines that we undertake. And those disciplines, of course, are prayer and the effectual fervent prayer of that righteous man availeth much. And through reading the scriptures. And the information that we get from that, we build on. Such that we might be truly equipped for every good work. And yesterday we looked at Peter. Now there's a chain man, isn't it? And so many people came up and said, yeah, I can relate to Peter. And that's right, because he is just like you and me. He gets lots of things wrong. But the good Lord, he forgives him. And he loves him. And that gives me a whole load of encouragement. And finally today, the importance of fellowship in transformation. That's what I'd like to think about in our final session of Be Transformed. Um, I, I helped run a camp during the summer, the summertime, and we have a morning thought each morning. And one morning, uh, and the, the summer camp is for about 70 youngsters between the age of 14 and 19, and we're under canvas, which is a real challenge in the UK because it rains most of the time. Uh, and uh, we have a little morning thought, and uh, last year, uh, for a morning thought, just about 10 minutes, I wanted to just explain to the youngsters there uh, what it was like carrying a burden. So I got a guy called out called, a guy came out called Kevin, and um, Kevin's a six foot three individual, 18 year old, great big guy, strapping guy, and two little girls who were 14. And uh, I managed to pull the car seat out of my car and uh, give it to Kevin, and I got the other car seat out and give it to these two little girls. And I said, you're gonna have a race, you lot. Kevin's gonna race you two. And it's obvious he's gonna win, isn't it? Kevin, he's a big guy. But Kevin, you're going to be carrying that car seat and you two girls will be carrying this car seat as well. They start up the other end of the field and off they went. And Kevin carrying his car seat, big strapping Kevin, was beaten to the, by the two little 14-year-old girls. And that just proved that two is better than one. And that was my first point. My second point is this one. In the UK, we don't win many gold medals at the Olympics, but when we do, we celebrate and we really get into the sport. 
we're quite good at rowing. <laughs> it's about the only thing that we're any good at. <laughs> yeah, that's right, we do a lot of that. Um, and so we understand a lot of, though we read about rowing, you know, that's, that's what it is with us. And we have a, a coxless four, which basically is four people in a boat rowing without a cox. Fine. And so I was reading about them uh, a couple of weeks ago. And what they did is they measured the pulling power of each of the individual members of the coxless four. And for instance, let's say that each of them in their pulling power um, was 10 as a, as a, a number. So therefore, when you put them together, okay, you'd expect it to add up to 40. So they measured each of them individually, and it was 10 each. So when you put them together, they put them on a, a big rowing machine, and they measured them, and actually, the pulling power was 48. Which meant that the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. So two is better than one, and the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And my third point is this. If you go to Germany, there's um, a bridge going over a river. And I can't exactly remember where it is, but I remember seeing it. And it's right by a British army camp that's, that's uh, based out there in Germany. And there's a sign on this bridge. And the sign said, Please do not march in time when crossing the bridge. And the reason being is when you're marching in time, the bridge is weakened. And that's the power of marching in time. So three little starters there for you. Two is absolutely better than one. Kevin found that out. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's what experiment found out with the rowers. And the power of being in step and being together is immense. So far this week, we've realised and recognised that we need to change. We know that it's not a natural thing to do. Naturally, it's easy to be angry. And we're told to be slow to anger. And we need help. And we've got it here. And we've got it here. And today we're going to be looking at here. The help, the other, the third tool that we have in our toolbox, in our way to transform. In creation, um, it was, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful situation in Genesis 1. Because it says, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth without form and void, and up upon the face of the deep, and God created light, and he said, it is good. And he goes through, in verse 3, he says, and it was good. In verse 10, he said, it was good. Verse 12, he said, and it was good. Verse 20, and it was good. Verse 25, and it was good. Verse 31, and it was good. Each time he created, it was good, it was good. This was a good place. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he said and it's not good. And it's not good. So you have all these times when it was good, and then it's not good. And it's like a juxtaposition between the two. And it was not good even when there was no sin 
And it was not good even before the fall. God said, it is not good that man should be alone. A perfect environment. But it is not good that man should be alone. And of course we have the situation that you and I are created in God's image. We have the characteristics of God. We know the difference between good and bad. We have a conscience that makes us unique. And also another image of God is that we, as individuals, just as in the image of God, we need each other. God made us. He said, it's not good that you stay on your own. That is not a good... I didn't make you to stay on your own. I made you in my image. God is gregarious. Now, isn't that interesting? God wants to have a relationship. In the film, Castaway, some of you might have seen the film Castaway. It stars Tom Hanks. And it's really quite fascinating. Essentially, Tom Hanks, flying with FedEx, I think it is, and a plane, I don't know what happens to the plane, it goes down anyway, uh, and it crashes, and he is eventually washed up on an island, on a desert island, and he's, he's there for a couple of years. But halfway through this film, um, a deflated football is washed up, and he takes it, and he actually paints a face on it. And it was a Wilson football, and he calls it Wilson. Some of you have seen it. And throughout the rest of the film, it was quite fascinating, he made this football into a person. Why? Because that's how we are. We need to have relationships. And in the very beginning, when God made us, and made us such that we are gregarious, just like he is, God and man walked together. God who wants a relationship, and us who wants a relationship. And the two of us want a relationship. And he wants a relationship with you. And that's the message in this book. This book is all about relationships. But the thing is, and the wonderful thing is, is that we, he, we can't make, I can't make you like me. You can't make me like you. That's how relationships are. It's completely voluntary. And God recognised that in the outset. God allowed Adam. God allowed Adam to eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree, of knowledge and good and evil. God allowed it. God allowed Adam and Eve to go and hide. And I love that bit. When, when, when God comes along and he says, where are you, Adam? God knew exactly where he was. But he allowed Adam to reveal himself. And that's what relationships are about. 
Relationships are voluntary. And that's why the, God has given us free will. Free will to have a relationship with him or not. It's down to us. That's what our life of transformation is about. It's about changing to enable us to have that relationship with God. And the thing is, is that why have we got each other? Why did God make us gregarious? Because what he's doing is he's enabling us to develop relationship skills. That's what this life is about, of transformation. It's about developing relationship skills, ready to have a relationship with him. And that's why this fellowship, this koinonia, this unique relationship that we have, is so important. That's why being part of a church is vital. Because we are here to hone relationship skills so we can have a good relationship with God. Would you turn now to my reading that we had, which was um, Ephesians chapter 4. Because Ephesians chapter... That's Ephesians, I say Ephesians. I did. I meant Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And that was great, wasn't it, when our our lovely brother came up here to read and two people helped him up here. Three are better than one. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. They certainly do. That's what those two little girls found out when they were running against Kevin. And if one falls down, his friend can help him up. That's why we're in a church. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. This is a wonderful blessing, this Christadelphian fellowship that we have, that we can help each other and hone our relationship skills. And verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. How many times have you read that? Many, I suspect. How many times have you thought about that very last sentence? A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I have friends, surprisingly enough. Um, I, have, I have friends at work and my neighbours. I have still some, some college friends. Um, and I'm sure you have the same. But those are just single cords. Me and my work friends. That's just a relationship between me and them. And it is very fragile that you can break one cord so easily. But a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's me and you, you and Jesus, me and Jesus. That's the threefold cord. And it's not quickly broken. And those are the cords that are the important ones. And that's what that passage is about. God wants us in a community. He wants us to be part of the church. He wants you and me 
in a threefold chord relationship. You talk to engineers and, they, and you ask them, what is the strongest shape that you can have? And have a look at a bridge, and it's all based on triangles. And that's what this is. We have a threefold chord relationship, a triangular relationship. And so what we have is this threefold chord relationship, which is a hugely special one, one that we should nurture. My work colleagues, friendship, that breaks very easily. This one doesn't. And that is just another area to remember in marriage, when we are marrying somebody who is of precious faith, like precious faith, that is so much more a stronger relationship because it is a threefold chord relationship. But now we have this relationship, you and me, you and other members, your ecclesia. These relationships are there for a purpose. They are there to help us develop the fruit of the Spirit. So for the next, oh, about 30 minutes, we'll just go through and have a look at just some of the, uh, the areas that, that the Scripture talks about whereby we can develop and nurture and hone our relationship skills to enable us to strengthen the threefold cord and develop our relationship with God. So, let's start off then. Here's the first one. The first one I find really challenging. But it's a principle that we've already mentioned a little bit, and it's this. It's to celebrate the differences. What does a natural man do? The natural man we've already read about in Galatians. The natural man looks for discord and dissension. When there, are dis when there is discord, there is desire to win. Remember, that's what that word means. So when you have differences, you want to win. And a dissension is when you can't resolve and can't win, you split. You go away. The natural man does not like differences. We want to be thinking the same. And actually, that's the same as you and me in our ecclesias, in our threefold chord relationships. We don't like people who think differently to us. And yet, in 1 Corinthians 12, we know that we're going to be different. We know we're going to have different perspectives. We know that some people are a toe, and some people are a knee, some people are an arm, some people are an ear. We know that, but really deep down, we'd all like everybody else to be an ear with us. And we can't really accept sometimes that some people are a toe. We like people who are like us. Um, <clears throat> I went on an interviewing, an interviewing course um, for work, and, uh, and they said it was, very, it was quite fascinating. Uh, when you are in an interview, you make up your mind about an individual in the first four minutes, apparently, um, psychologically. And the rest of the interview is about trying to confirm those original first four minutes, surprisingly enough. 
And the whole interview schedule was trying to overcome those natural tendencies that you do. Um, and what was identified is what is known as the mirror effect. In that in interviewing, you will tend to take on people who are similar to yourself. We like people who are similar to ourselves. That's not what the body is about. The body is about differences and celebrating and recognising those differences. The church at Ephesus had many, many differences. They were full of dissimilar people. Actually, that's true with the church at Maidenhead. That's true with the church in Los Angeles. That's true with your church. There are people of different ages, different outlooks. You've got knees, you've got toes, you've got ears. They're different. <clears throat> and the theme of Paul's letter to the church of the Ephesians was one of unity. <clears throat> and that was unity. Wonderful, this. We were, you know, we were singing last night, and it, it sort of occurred to me, this is unity of harmony, not unity of uniformity. And that's different. A four-part harmony actually sounds a whole lot better than when everybody sings the melody. And that's what God wants. He wants us to recognise and celebrate the differences. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about fellow citizens. It talks about one in Christ. In the church of Ephesus, there were hostilities. There were the Gentiles and there were Jews. And in fact, if a Jew married a Gentile, what would happen is that the Jews would end up having a funeral. A Jew was not allowed to help a Gentile in childbirth. A Jew, if ever they went into a Gentile home, they were considered to be unclean. In the temple courts, there were the barriers for the Gentiles, then the barriers for the women, the barriers for the Israelites, the barriers for the priests, then the barriers for the holy place, the most holy place, where, of course, the high priest went in, the Day of Atonement. It was full of barriers. And naturally, our church is full of barriers. But when you read Ephesians 2, it talks about being one in Christ and getting rid of all those barriers and celebrating the differences. What does God think of our churches today? He must be sad. He must be sad to see that whilst we're all trying to go in one direction, we're looking at everybody else and we're putting up barriers once again. Not what Ephesians 2 says. There was, um, in France, in the, in the Second World War, <clears throat> there was, during the war, there was a British soldier who died. And uh, his friends took hold of him and, and pulled him away from the front line. And they wanted to go and bury his body. 
and they walked with his body and they found a little church in rural France. They went up and they, they knocked on the church door and the priest opened the door and they managed to explain to him that obviously their, their friend had died <coughs> and could they therefore bury him in the cemetery. And the priest looked at them and said, tell me, um, was he a Roman Catholic? And they looked at each other. Well, we, we don't know. Oh, he said, nah. Can't be buried in the churchyard. You'll have to bury him outside the churchyard. <clears throat> so they took the body, they dug a hole beyond the, the, the fence, <clears throat> and they buried his body outside of the churchyard. And they went back to, to their friends. And the next day they said, let's go and pay our respects to our comrade. And they returned to the churchyard. And they came up and they looked around. And they thought, where's the grave gone? And they went and they knocked on the church door and the priest opened the door. And they said, excuse me, the uh, comrade whom we buried, have, what have you done? Have you, have, you, have you moved the body? And the priest said, no. He said, um, during the night, I was thinking about it. And so during the night, I moved the fence. And that's what Jesus has done. He's included us, each of us, He's knocked down the barriers. The curtain has been torn. And therefore we should celebrate the differences that we have. Because that is part and parcel of the fruit of the Spirit. What about this one then? Wanting the best for your brother and your sister. <clears throat> How about this for differences? When you think about, in the scriptures, about what is, what is the, a, a good friendship? I can, you're thinking immediately, who are really good friends? David and Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, they are probably the archetype friendship. Yeah, good. David was, when well, we probably really first see him, getting to know Jonathan, David was 18, Jonathan was about 30. Oh, quite different. David was a shepherd, Jonathan was a prince. David was the son of a farmer, Jonathan was the son of a king. David was great with the sling, Jonathan, being a Benjamite, was left-handed and great with a bow. These were really different people. And yet David was a man after God's own heart, and read all about it in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan was absolutely a godly man. This was a threefold cord relationship. And they recognised the differences. But more than that, if I had the, C the curriculum vitae, the CV of Jonathan and the CV of David, and they came and sat on my desk, and I'm now interviewing for the next king, I tell you what, I wouldn't have David. Jonathan's the man for me. Jonathan fulfills all the criteria. He was a good man. Godly man. He proved that he was brave when he went up and killed the 20 Philistines. 
This was an ideal candidate for a king. And Jonathan knew it. But he also knew that David was going to be king. And I always think to myself, what would I have done here? Would I have wanted to be friends with David? Because I'm a good candidate. And yet, when we read about it in 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan wanted the best for his friend. And he saved him. He saved him from death, from the death of his father Saul. And that is what real friendship is about. A really good relationship is about. It is looking out for your brother's and your sister's salvation. That's what wanting the best is. And that's what Jonathan did for David, despite the differences. And on that basis, of course, in Philippians 2, verse 3, it talks about esteeming your brother better than yourself. And that, brothers and sisters, flies right in the face of the glass that is full of air. Because the glass that is full of air is full of self-ambition and self-esteem. And here, we are being exhorted to put you, all of you, are better than me. That is completely unnatural. How often, when we are in an exhortation, are we sitting there, and it's a great exhortation, you're listening to it, and you're thinking, I hope Brother Phil's listening to this. (laughs) Actually, the exhortation is for me. And when we're pointing, when we're pointing, I really hope that brother over there is sorting so-and-so out and doing this, just always remember there are always three fingers pointing back at you. And that's the challenge that we have. That's what Philippians 2 verse 3 talks about. Esteem your brother better than you. That is really tricky. But when you do that, then we are gradually having that air displaced with the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, this would believe in him, to have everlasting life. But how about 1 John 3.16? Just turn to it with me. Isn't that beautiful about the Scriptures? John 3.16. We know well. Now let's look at 1 John 3.16. One John three sixteen says this. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And that is the beauty of the first and the second commandment. The first commandment very much is oriented around 
John 3.16, and the second one, 1 John 3.16. So, that's the third point, and the fourth is this one, about helping each other. Um, Let's look at Galatians 6, if you don't mind. Galatians 6. And this is about two being better than one. Uh, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, so brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ. We should be carrying each other's burdens. I saw a lovely picture of this once, uh, and it was of a man carrying his burden like this. And a man behind holding up that burden and carrying his burden and a man behind holding up that burden and carrying his burden and so it was and that's what the church is about it's about carrying your burden and someone else holding you up with it and someone else helping you with your burden it's about putting yourselves out it's about doing the unnatural thing it's about relying on each other um, at the camp that, I, uh, that we, we did I, I got them all, about 70 of them this is quite a great thing to do, this. You can do it with, uh, actually, about a good hundred people. <coughs> Youngsters, I would suggest. And what you do, is you get them to all stand in a great big circle. And then what you do, you get them to all stand very close to each other. And then you get them to sit down on the knees of the person behind. And they all sit down in a great big circle. They had 70 of them do it. These kids all sit down on a circle. And they sit there, and they were really stable. No chairs, no nothing. They just sat on each other. And of course, the minute that you just pushed one over, the lot came down. And that's what church life is about. About supporting each other. And we need support each other, because when one falls, then the lot can go. And that's the beauty of fellowship. And learning to rely on each other. <clears throat> and that brings me on to my next point, because... Oh no, I won't. I'm about helping each other. How can we help each other? Well, we can provoke one another to good works. And uh, do you remember that time when um, Saul was in the cave and David, he's chasing David, and David comes up and David cuts off the little edge of the cloak and runs away. And he shouts, oh, Saul, Saul, look what I've done. Waves the piece of cloak. Why did he do that? Take a look at Leviticus chapter 15. I always wondered why he did this. Leviticus chapter 15. Am I right on this? Now I'm... Ah, it's not Leviticus, is it? I suspect it's Numbers. Hang on one moment. I suspect this is a Numbers one. 
I got this wrong? We're about to find out. It is. I'm sorry, it's Numbers chapter 15. I do apologise. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 15 and verse 37. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribband of blue, and that shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye use to go a-whoring. That ye may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What was David doing? He was cutting off the tassel, the blue tassels. And he was waving it at Saul, saying, Saul, what are you doing? Why have you got these tassels? You're following your own whims, not what God commands. He was provoking his brother to good works. And that's what we should be doing, helping each other by looking out for their salvation and waving the blue tassels in a loving way. Uh, but that does require this. And this actually, we're good at the first one, we're not so good at this one. We're actually quite good at helping each other from time to time, we're not that good of allowing ourselves to be helped. Um, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, there was a realisation that um, Adam and Eve were both naked and they hid themselves from God and each other. And up until then, they hadn't recognised that each of them were naked. But as a result of the fall, so they started to hide. And I think it was the day before yesterday when, when we did the readings and Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Why? Because the little children are so open. When, uh, when my, my children were really young and we used to have the ice cream van come round, you could tell what their reaction was to that little noise of the ice cream van in their faces. They are transparent, aren't they, children? And when I put, used to put a little bowl of Brussels sprouts in front of my daughter to eat. That was transparent as well. <laughs> but as we grow older, so we learn the art of facial management. And we start to hide. And that is why in the, the scriptures, we are told to confess our sins one to another. And we're very, very, well, forgive me, I am very bad at that. I am not good at confessing my sins one to another. Why? Because I think that you'll think bad of me. And I'm a bit embarrassed by that. 
But that's what God wants. As a result of the fall, we are all wearing veiled faces. And uh, you know when you love somebody, don't you? Um, us brethren, you know when you love your wife is when you first see them without makeup on. And that's really telling. And uh, we're good. We're good at putting on makeup, emotional makeup. And God sees right through, He sees right through our emotional makeup. And we need very much to, to, to develop that with God by developing, by developing it with each other. And that's why we should confess our sins one to another. Because that will enable us to be more open with God. And the great thing is, is that whilst we think that having a veiled face <clears throat> is what people like, actually, we as individuals quite like unveiled faces. We like people who are open and who are transparent. And so does God. And we need to learn to be honest to God. And that comes back to that other tool of prayer of talking to God honestly, telling him what is on our mind, not what ought to be on our mind. And isn't it wonderful in Acts where it says that first church met with glad and sincere hearts. And that word in the Greek literally means open, transparent hearts. And my final point, and this is my final point for the weekend, and it's a very appropriate one. It's one of association. It's making sure we're associating with the right people. Uh, there was uh, a brother in our meeting who went to Australia uh, for around about six months. Englishman he was. And when he came back, he had that Australian lilt in his voice. And it was remarkable. It was just from being in the company of the Australians for six months. And why is it that when you have an orange in, in the fruit basket and it, and it starts to, to go bad, that within a day, all the other oranges in the fruit basket have gone bad as well? Because God is treating us and showing us a wonderful lesson. He said, you get infected very easily. There was a, a really interesting experiment that was done. Um, and <clears throat> they had 12 monkeys in a cage. And they deprived these monkeys of food. And then they dangled um, a, a bunch of bananas into this, this cage. And as soon as the bananas were in there, the monkeys ran towards the bananas and started to try to get them. And the minute they tried to get them, they hosed down the, the monkeys, got them absolutely soaked. And when they went away, they stopped hosing them. And then as hunger pangs came on, they tried to go again, and they hosed them down, and they went away from them. And they never actually got right to the bananas. And then they removed one of the monkeys and put another monkey in there, a new monkey. And when this new monkey looked around and saw the bananas, he went towards... The, the bananas, and the other monkeys grabbed him and pulled him back. And what they eventually did, and there was no hosing then, 
But the other monkeys were stopping him because the monkeys knew what would happen if he tried to go to the bananas. And the interesting thing was, is that gradually they took out the monkeys and replaced them. So much so, there were 12 new monkeys in there, none of which had had a water experience. And yet when the last monkey came in there and he tried to get the bananas, the other 11 monkeys leapt on him and pulled him back. And that is something to do with the association. Is how we are affected by other people. And that's what we've done this week. And that's what we're going to do from now on as well. We are absolutely going to be affected by other people. By our brothers and sisters. I have been affected by you this week. And I thank you for that. And I praise God for that. For I have been transformed this week by virtue of my relationship with you. Really just one week in a lifetime. One week on my wilderness journey. And I hope and I pray that together with our threefold cause, we can most certainly be focused on this, the scriptures, such that we are thoroughly equipped and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That we together can realise the affection, fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much. And we can realise how we can develop our relationship skills together and be transformed as we get ready together to realise our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and our God forever in the kingdom. And may that day come really soon. Thank you.